Well, uh, normally if you're visiting here, we, we usually look line by line through four or five, ten verses max. And so we're going to do barbecue, take a nap, do part two, uh, and then we'll t- have dinner together, take a nap, and then by Tuesday we'll be done. I promise you. <laughs> no, we're not, we're not going to do that. We wanted to read the whole encounter of Acts 10 this morning because it really, all the details tell one sweeping story. Uh, this Monday, I was out with a bunch of guys from this church. On occasion, if you're a golfer, some guys get out and there's just like a little email list you can get on and uh, go out and hit nine holes. And I was with David and I've known David for a while. David and Casey, his wife, are newer to the church, been at Sunset for about a year or so and they're expecting their first. And I found out, because you never know when you're hanging out with someone, I found out that their, their uh, child's uh, due date is August 7, which happens to be my birthday. So I pled with him for nine holes. Call him little Jose. Call him little Jose. But they're as white as ever, and that just would have been weird. So if he's born on the seventh, I'll call him little Jose. It'll be our little thing, and you'll stare at me strangely. Um, You know, like, I I love kids. I I love the fact that we get to dedicate a family, Dustin and Brittany and little Bella, uh, to Jesus on a day like today. Every child is special. And you just need to know if, if you check your kids into our, our kids area here, we treat everyone with special attention. We love everyone. We pray for everyone. Every kid matters. And uh, that's what makes parenting hard. For those of you who are parents of multiple kids, like every child is special. But when you have more than one, you see that u- uniqueness is. And the game is to treat them with equal love but not play favorites if you have more than one. So I've got Jonah and Alina, and I love them, but how do I do that in a way that they both feel my love and get my attention equally? It's impossible, you know. Growing up, I've got an older brother, younger brother, and a younger sister, and they would complain to my mom that she treated me as her favorite, as if I was the most important of of the kids. It happened to be true, but it really annoyed them. (laughs) It just happened to be true. (laughs) Can't blame mom for seeing greatness. Anyway, so, (laughs) and humility. (laughs) Don't judge me, that's a sin. So, uh, we haven't even gotten started yet. So when you think about following God, when you think about what it means to experience life, in Jesus Christ, uh, does God play favorites? Where do you feel like you fit, you know? Where do you feel like you fit with God this morning, if I can even ask that kind of question? Maybe you feel like God doesn't totally get you. You're like the oldest child of multiples, and every, like, mistake is made, or, you know, attempt is made. Maybe you feel like a middle child, and, like, you're, like, lost in all of it. God's got all these kids, and I'm here, I'm here. Maybe you feel like the youngest child, like you're more important than everyone else. Uh, Where do you feel like you fit with God this morning? And more importantly, where does God and how does God interplay with you? That's what we see in Acts 10. Does God treat everyone equally or does he treat the more religious, the more law-abiding with more love and more favor? Does God play Favorites is the bottom line question. And really, when you you ask a question like that, what we're asking is, what is God 
like. Now, because the text is so long and Kurt has smoked pork shoulder for like 12 hours here, I want us just to focus on three things that create the seam of the whole story. It's one long encounter, really, with one major point. But let me just break it into three aspects of this one idea. Write this down if you're a note taker. If not, just pretend. Uh, Number one, God is dealing with our issues. God's dealing with our issues. Um, Most of the story is about God getting Peter's attention. Uh, let's just remember, jump down, jump down to verse 9 of chapter 10, if you would. It says, about noon the following day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter goes up to a rooftop to pray. And he became hungry and wanted something to eat. While he, the meal was being prepared, he falls into a trance. And he saw heaven opened up and something like a large sheet being let down to the earth by its four corners. And it contained all kinds of four footed animals, as well as reptiles and birds. And the voice told him, get up, Peter, kill and eat. Sounds like a very manly command. Like, don't you want God to talk to you this bluntly? Like it's Father's Day. Hey guys, get up, kill something and eat. That just sounds, I mean, I don't think of God speaking in those terms, but that's what you hear here. Sorry for the vegetarians, but that's what God said. It's okay, I'm, I'm all about vegetables sandwiched between my meat. Anyway, so uh, <laughs> I, no, I actually do enjoy a healthy living most of the time. So in, in, in essence, what is God saying? God is trying to communicate something to Peter that's at a, a, a fundamental level. Now you think he hears the attention, but look at verse 14, as if he didn't get it. Let's keep reading. Surely not, Lord, Peter replied. I've never eaten anything impure or unclean. And the voice says to him a second time, don't call anything impure that God has made clean. And it happens how many times? Three times. And then the sheet is taken up. So God is trying to get Peter's attention. Now, up until this point, if you're wondering, like, what is this? Is this about food? Not really. Fundamentally, this isn't an issue of food it's an issue of favorites. How is God, in light of the coming of Jesus, going to treat you? How's he going to treat me? How's he going to treat everyone? Does God play favorites? So the, the, the center of the story, if you're new to the Bible, is this. Peter believes that you need to become like a Jew in order to follow Jesus. That's what this entire chapter is about. And he has good reason to. If, you, if you've read the story that we call the Old Testament, the beginning of God's story, Peter, in one sense, there's nothing wrong with what he's doing. He is living ethnically like one of the children of Israel. And God had given his people a way of living that was right and good. But this way of living was about more than food and more than cleanliness. It was about being different set apart, uniquely a people that would represent God to the world. And so for Peter to not eat these unclean animals, he's just doing the right thing. But yet God wanted to get through to him. One of the the pieces that Peter didn't get yet was that the coming of Jesus would revolutionize everything. And that God is not just going to communicate with one people called Israel, but he's going to invite everyone into one gigantic family. And in light of that, in light of the coming of Jesus, 
This is what Peter needed to hear and see. Now, Jesus had been saying it the whole time, but Peter didn't get the implications. Is that now, because Jesus is risen, you do not have to become an ethnic Jew in order to follow Jesus, the Jewish Messiah. Now, for us, this is like, yawn, you know, uh, what's the big deal about this? Well, you and I, can I just suggest, we're living in the wake of that. We're living in the benefit of that. Most of us are not ethnically connected to the people called Israel, not descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We're not part of that culture, and so we take it for granted. But here is the shift in all of the book of Acts. This is where it shifts. Because God's good news was always for everyone, and Israel, these people, Peter included, are supposed to represent God to the whole world But sometimes we just get caught up in our own stuff. And so Jesus breaks through. So so Cornelius, in Peter's mind, should become circumcised if he's really going to follow Jesus. He should eat eat kosher, but Jesus comes to to Peter first and to everyone. Because the rest of Acts, you're going to see it come up again in Acts 11. You're going to see it come up in Acts 15. Everywhere that Saul, who becomes Paul, plants a church, this becomes an issue Because to this stage, the Jews kept themselves closed as a community. And they ate different and looked different and acted different. But now because of Jesus, God's good news is open to everyone. So it's going to take a while. It's going to take decades for this implication to be fleshed out. So what are we saying? God wants to save everyone. That is the good news. God is interested in saving people from every nation and every tribe and every tongue. And so you do not have to become an ethnic Jew in order to live in right standing with Jesus. So here's what I want us to see. Sometimes in order for God to use us to help people experience life in him, God needs to deal with us. In in their case, in Peter's case, It was a cultural shift. Peter needed to hear that God is going to accept Cornelius not on the basis of what he eats or does not eat, not the religious rules that he keeps or doesn't keep, even though those are good, nothing wrong with them. But it's going to be faith in Jesus that's going to be the means to receive the Holy Spirit. And the marker for being part of the family of God is no longer going to be kosher or non-kosher. It is going to be who has the Spirit of God living inside of them. That's going to be the marker. So the, the marker this morning for you and I is not do we attend church? Have we been baptized in water when we were really young or when we were old? Do we contribute when the little basket is passed? Do we, do we read the Bible and obey the Bible? All of those are important things, but they're not the marker of you being included in the family of God. There is one marker. And we're going to see it in a little bit in the text. Cornelius receives the Spirit of God. Peter doesn't give him the spirit. God comes by his spirit and invades Cornelius' life and the lives of the people around him. So, So the good news is for everyone. Let's not forget that. But before we move on to the second idea, let's just be reminded that as God needs to deal with Peter and his conceptions or misconceptions about what it means to be a part of the family of God, God is gonna have to deal with us. So just don't be surprised. I'm talking to the followers of Jesus here. Don't be surprised if in your following of Jesus, in your discipleship to Jesus, if over time 
Jesus begins to chip away at the cultural things that you believe to be right and wrong that are out of line with his heart. We're, we're just, we're seeing it right now. I mean, there's real hatred. I don't even need to get into it because the news is flooded with it. But what, what's happened in South Carolina, in Charleston, just reminds us that hatred is real and bigotry is real and racial superiority is real. Evil is real. And I don't think any of us here would probably be that extreme. But can we just be honest? We were born into a world filled with biases and we've adopted some of them, whether it's racism or classism or nationalism. Because I'm an American, I'm better. I'm, I'm God's gift. We are God's gift to the world. That's a cultural bias that you don't find in Scripture. But let's just recognize, that's not the main point, but it is a point, that, that, that God in his goodness, Jesus has to deal with Peter and deal with his heart through a vision in this case in order that he could freely offer grace and forgiveness to Cornelius. Second thing I want you to see is God's not just dealing with Peter. Notice this, number two. God is speaking not just to us, but to them. And by them, I'm talking about Cornelius. Uh, Cornelius is not yet following Jesus. He lives in a region called Caesarea or Caesarea. It's a city that still exists today. It's a beautiful port town. And all you need to know now is Luke is giving us once again a contrast Cornelius is part of the Italian regiment. He oversees a hundred soldiers. But it's where he's from that's the biggest issue. Why does he mention from Caesarea? Is because in this city there is a temple to Caesar. Caesar is Cornelius' boss. But in that town, and in many towns in Rome, he is worshipped as divine. He is seen as the son of God. And so if you're an ethnic Jew, like Peter is, follower of Jesus, but an ethnic Jew, you hate places like Caesarea because it represents all that is wrong with the world. So the, the divide between Cornelius and Peter is not just like food stuff and what you eat and what you don't eat, but it's allegiances. Who is Cornelius most allegiant to? Caesar who claims to be the son of God, who claims to be Lord. And Peter is a messenger, an ambassador for Jesus, who is the true Lord and the true king and the true ruler. So, so Luke's giving us the sense of opposites. Peter is not going to give Cornelius any time and attention. He's not going to go to his town. He's not going to stop by and proclaim good news. But I want us to see that even in the people that seem least likely to be candidates to receive God's good news, God is at work. God is speaking, not just to his own people, but what we see in the text is God is speaking to Cornelius. Did you notice both get a vision, right? It's not like Peter gets a better vision. Cornelius gets a vision of who God is and what he needs to do, and Peter gets a vision. Did you notice it happens at the same time? At the same time that that, that Peter's thinking about, God, what do you want me to do? He's up on the rooftop praying. In advance, Cornelius is hearing from God about this messenger that's going to come. And even as Peter's up there on the rooftop praying, the same timing of the messengers of Cornelius who come to say, Peter, come and bring this message to us. God is at work. And it says a lot about the heart of God. You don't need to start following Jesus 
to hear from God. As a matter of fact, if you're here and maybe you've poked that religion a bit and you've thought about faith a little bit, but you're wondering, oh, I'm, I'm just not one. I just don't, God stuff, brisket, I'm there. Pulled pork, I'm totally there. But, but God talk, can I just remind you, God has already been speaking to you in ways that you can understand. The question is, are you receptive? The difference between Cornelius and the rest is Cornelius does something about what he hears. And whenever you get an inkling of who God is or a taste of what God has done, whenever you, you get something in your brain that rings true, do like Cornelius, live like Cornelius. Act on it. He doesn't even know who Jesus is, this Messiah. He doesn't even understand it. But all he gets is invite this man who's a messenger and he'll tell you what you need to do. And in the same way, God is trying to knock on the door of your life and get your attention. So he uses a spouse and he uses a coworker and he uses a book or a, a podcast or a song or a TV show or the sky. God uses all sorts of things to get our attention. The question is, are we listening? Now, what Peter didn't know is that Cornelius is described as a God fear. What does that mean? Up until this time, culturally, Peter is not even going to go near Cornelius, but he doesn't know he's one step away. See, a God fear is like a technical term. He is raised in a polytheistic culture. The Romans, the Greeks believe in multiple gods, multiple deities, multiple powers, and you worshiped as many as you could. Why worship many gods? Because every god has some power and something that you need. So you worship many gods because you need to appease them. If you want your child to be raised with health, you, re- you worship this god. If you want safety in travel, you worship this god. If you want protection in battle, you worship this god. All of the gods have a piece of power. There's no supreme god. And that's the culture Cornelius is from. But you know he's a god-fearer. And that means he's heard of the god of Israel but he's not yet culturally become a Jew. But he does hear of Israel's God, and we can make this assumption, Cornelius has probably already rejected the other gods and is leaning towards the one true creator, God. So what are we saying? God is at work in Cornelius, as God is at work in Peter, and God is at work in my life and the lives of his followers here, and God is at work in your life. And if you're not yet following, you need to know He's trying to connect you with people, real people. He doesn't just speak through visions. The message of good news could have been shared through a vision. It could have been shared through an angel. It could have been shared through, through skywriting in the sky. Hello, I'm God. He could have done it that way. But rather he chooses to use his flesh and blood people. If you want to really know Jesus, talk to him, sure. But can I just suggest this? Talk to someone who's actually following him. Listen to what they say. Hear the dialogue of their story. They may have some truth from the scripture that you may need to hear. They may have some some answers to some questions that you have. What we're getting is God at work with both groups of people. So he's a God-fearer. And so God is speaking to all sorts of people in all sorts of ways. Third thing I want us to see this morning before we take a break and and enjoy some, some lunch together. Third thing. And it's the most important thing is that Jesus changes everything. That is, the story is, is not about Peter and the vision. It's not about Cornelius and the vision. No, those are side characters in the larger story. The real story 
is about Jesus changing everything. The only reason Peter's eyes could be opened to the long-term plan of God, which is followers of Jesus in every country, in every culture, in every ethnic group, worshiping in all sorts of ways. You know, our worship this morning, fortunately, Jim and others like myself, we get to travel a bit. And you go to Latin America and worship will look different. You go to Asia, worship will look different. You go to Europe, worship will look different. You go to Africa, worship will look different. All over the world, the same worship to the same Savior, Jesus, has different cultural expressions. It's no longer monocultural, one cultural. Now, God wants to express his goodness, and worship can be seen in all sorts of ways. It's because Jesus, not because Peter or Cornelius, it's because Jesus changes everything. Jesus changes the way I should see people. Just look down to verse 27, if you would. Uh, While talking with them, Peter went inside and found a large gathering of people. So he has the courage to obey God and he goes in. And he says to them, you are well aware it's against our Jewish, not God's law, Jewish cultural law, for a Jew to associate or even visit a non-Jew, a Gentile. But look at this understanding. But God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. Peter gets it in the moment that this resurrection of Jesus not only changes the way we are made right before God, not only changes the the one that we worship, but it now changes these cultural distinctions which were there, but, but keep people apart, isolate people. And again, let's just throw it to us here. We are in America, right? The same country. We have the same government. We have the same rule of law. But we're not all together. Can we just be real? We are very divided. We're divided by where we live, urban and suburban. We're divided by languages that we speak. We're divided by cultural uh, distinctives. You have your own cultural set of rules that you think are right and good, and I have mine. But what Jesus does is he doesn't zap those and destroy those. He redeems them. So it is okay for me to be a Puerto Rican who is a follower of Jesus and prefer rice and beans to pasta. It's okay. And there's nothing wrong with pasta. There's nothing wrong with hummus. There's nothing wrong with any other cultural food. I can keep some of that beautiful cultural identity and still love Jesus and not not make that a barrier. You could be upper class or middle class or lower class. You could have a PhD or a GED. All of those things It's cool here because we are really made one in right relationship with God and in right relationship with each other regardless of those other things. They're not absolved. They're not gone. They're not evaporated. They still matter. So we celebrate that, right? The diversity is beautiful. But now we claim allegiance not to secondary cultural things. We claim allegiance primarily to Jesus. So I'm a Jesus follower who happens to have all of these beautiful cultural distinctives. And when I see life that way, when you see life that way, we become like Israel was to be in the first part of God's story before Jesus, a light to the nations. That we as the people of God, we could be different and speak different languages and have different cultural distinctives and have different values. And man, we don't kill each other. We love each other. We don't push each other away. We invite each other in. We welcome 
Not the melting pot where all the ingredients become one thing, but rather the stew, so to speak, where you still see all of the different elements, but they work in harmony together. That's what God's looking for. And, and because of Jesus, it's actually possible. So you can be a part of the family of God and still hold to those cultural things. So the question I just want to ask this morning, are who are the others in your world? Peter gets, gets the, gets the mind-blowing concept. Wow, I'm no longer to push Cornelius apart, even though he, is a, he has allegiance to Caesar. He is a soldier that could arrest me. They are so opposite. And yet, yet he doesn't see him now as the other guy, the other culture, the outsider. He says, I'm coming in your house. I'm going to eat your food. I'm going to stay at your place, which is totally culturally wrong for him. He says, I'm going to do it because God has released me from that kind of thinking. You're accepted, Cornelius, you and your whole household. So who are the others in your own world? Who are the people that you're not going to associate with for whatever reason? The people you, you want to stay away from. The people that, even though you love Jesus, you would rather avoid. Can I just suggest to you that part of Jesus' redemption is redeeming that thinking, that mindset, and setting you free to see every human being as equally beautiful in the created sight of God. And everyone matters. And no matter what someone's done, even those who are evil and deserve punishment are still loved by God through Jesus Christ. What would happen if we see things that way? Part of following Jesus is learning to see people through his lenses and not my own. And I think it's what God wants to remind us of this morning, especially in in light of all that we see in the news and all that's happening, not just one time, but repetitively in a culture filled with division and hate. We want to see people like Jesus sees people. So Jesus Jesus changes who's accepted. Just jump down to verse 34. He changes who's accepted. Peter began to speak. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and who does what is right in his sight. You know the message God sent to the people of Israel, announcing the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. So this one event is going to reshape the, the, the Christian community. The fact that Acts 10 happens sets the church free to now include not just Jews in Jerusalem, not just Samaritans who are almost Jewish, half Jewish, but now the church doors are blown open wide. And now anyone from anywhere is accepted. And, and my prayer for us is that we will live in that kind of reality. We live in a multicultural part of the Portland metro area. Would you agree? Um, Oregon is white. 80 some odd percent white. It's very white. It's one of the whiter states in the union. But in our part of the state, God has beautifully planted people from all around the world. And so my friends, three years from now, five years from now, 10 years from now, 20 years from now, if we are a white upper middle class church, shame on us. Shame on us. If we're not open to people of other languages and ethnic groups, other diverse cultural expressions, shame on us. Because we are the people like Peter who welcome and invite those who are not like us because Jesus accepts, we accept as well. So Jesus changes the way I see family. 
So there are followers of Jesus in almost every culture and every country, and we are a multicultural community. The church is a multicultural, multi-ethnic family, and I thank God for that. So wherever you're from, you're invited to be a part of the people of God. And like I said, now the marker is not Jew and Gentile. It's not Israeli or non-Israeli. The marker now for being invited and accepted as a child of God is do you have the Holy Spirit? And so what does God do? And I don't want you to miss this. Verse 44 and we're done. Don't miss this. While Peter was still speaking, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. That's God's sign. I love it. Peter lays hands on those in Samaria and they receive the Spirit. He imparts from Jerusalem the Spirit to the people of God in Samaria, but that doesn't happen here. I love it. God's smart. If Peter lays hands on Cornelius and he receives the Spirit, the Jewish Christians could believe they're superior. What happens? Peter is mid-sentence and the Spirit breaks out. And the Spirit comes on not just Cornelius, but everyone in the household and the same experience of Pentecost where they spoke another language, they're filled with the Spirit, they have new life, the sign of God's coming happens. It happened in Jerusalem, it happened in Samaria, it happens in this guy's house. And it's that revelation that God is inviting people to life in him and the marker is if you have the Spirit, you're a child of God. If you don't have the Spirit of God, you are not a child of God. So Jesus wants you in the family. A couple of takeaways, super simple. One, today we weep. We weep. The, what's the response here? When we realize that God has to come to Peter in a vision to make this clear to him, we're reminded of our own blindness. Uh, blindness. We're reminded that we too, like Peter, can sometimes see things more narrowly. We weep because brothers and sisters, real brothers and sisters, who happen to be Southerners and Carolinians and African-American were, were killed in the house of God. So we weep because this is not right and this is not holy and this is not good and this is in our backyard. This isn't just some other foreign place. It's on our soil. Hatred is real and the way of Jesus still needs to be proclaimed because we live in a quote-unquote Christian country which doesn't exist there's no Christian country. There's no Christian culture. There's no Christian people. They're just Christians. Amen. People who follow Jesus and people who don't. And when those who don't follow Jesus express hate, we weep. And we look for the day that Jesus will make all things right. And he'll settle the accountants. And he, and he will provide justice to this scenario. As horrific as it is. Today we also though, we celebrate. We weep that that's happening. But we also celebrate that we belong to Jesus. That you and I are included in the family of God. And if you're not yet in that family of God, you're one step away because Cornelius, mid-sentence, receives the Spirit. In the middle of me speaking, you can receive Jesus Christ. Mid-sentence. You can, in your own soul, express faith in the Lord Jesus, receive the Spirit of God, and walk out as a child of God. Today we celebrate because we have been included. And today we turn to Jesus. Because apart from him, this country has no hope, you have no hope, I have no hope, we have no hope. All of our hope is banked on one person, and that's Jesus. And so we eat, and we drink, and we're going to celebrate. And we do thank you, God, that you would give us, those who are fathers, children to raise up. But more than anything, we turn to you, Jesus, because, Jesus, we need you. And this morning, maybe that is a message you need to be reminded of. 
you want to parent in a way that honors God, you need Jesus. If you want to grow up someday to be a, a, a responsible mom or dad, a responsible person in this country, you need Jesus. We all need Jesus. And so we're going to turn to him. We're going to worship and, and respond in faith, expressing our need for Jesus' salvation.